welcome everyone to another edition of the Bash Bros Podcast. My name is Brad Nelson, and like every other week, I'm joined by my brother from another Mercury, BMTG. How's it going, bro? Wow, you said that fast. Oh. Damn, am I doing good. Oh, I'm out of breath already. Oh, <laughs> we, need, we need a break. Yeah, no kidding. You're a full one minute in, but you said enough words for like, you know, a full 10 minutes. Uh, not here. No, we talk a lot. All right. That's so true. before we get into the show, I just want to let everyone know that you can find this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Now, this is the Bash Bros Podcast, and we always try desperately to find the most interesting topics possible. Desperately which... is, a, is a perfect word for that. Yes. And <laughs> we also try to find desperately the best special guest possible. Now, this week, we are going to be talking about Theros Beyond Death spoilers, and we found the perfect, perfect special guest. Because our special guest this week is Beyond Death. It is none other than Brian Brad Doit. How's it going, BBD? You know, it's not going anymore because <laughs> I was dead and now I'm... You know, I, I 2019 is the year that I died inside. And yes. now that it's 2020, I'm, I've, I've kind of ascended. I'm beyond death. And then 2020 wow. is the year that everyone else dies. So wow, yeah. <laughs> wow! It 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 does feel like it's trending that way. It's um, off to that kind of a start for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a really good start, but I don't want to deal with that that dread. So let's talk about magic cards, shall we? That oh, seems so it. much better than dread. Yeah, let's distract ourselves from everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get into it, now we've we've uh, hand selected. A bunch of cards from Theros Beyond Death to talk about. We're not going to be able to talk about every single card. I'm, I'm still thinking about maybe next week trying to uh, get Brian to do an entire set review with me. But I, I I also would have to then want to do that as well. And I don't know if I want to do that yet. But um, before we get started. that means we have to have the same guest again, Brad. Isn't that kind of stale? And it would it would it would be hours of work that I think yeah. none of us want to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But, I'm willing to do minutes of work. <laughs> well that is good it's a good show to be on then brian because we need your minutes of work for today yeah and and uh, some might call you a minute man yes yeah <laughs> that would be generous it's i'm more of a second man yeah, yeah. but but here we so can we can usually get you to experience <laughs> <laughs> but usually here we can get you to last at least an hour hour and a half yeah it's true i, I i'm about one fourth of the way to calling my doctor every episode of the Bash Rose podcast. Yeah, we're we're that unpleasing that you just you last the full hour and thirty minutes with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're on the so, edge of something here for sure. Can we, can we, the edge can of we getting come, canceled, maybe. Can we yeah. come back for a second and get back to the podcast? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, All right. So before we get into this, we do have to congratulate Corey on an accomplishment of making top four of this last weekend's SCG Columbus, I believe. Woo, woo, woo. Yep, Columbus. Yep. Columbus. Yeah, not bad, a, huh? No, it was a it was a team tournament. You're you said you might be making a run for the players champs in this first half of the season, seeing how it goes. And that's off to a good start. You got yeah. two buys for the next open, so are you gonna be playing in it? Yeah, not a bad uh not a bad start at all. And honestly, I just actually enjoyed playing modern so much that I am gonna go to Knoxville. I was planning on skipping it just to play like the arena MCQ, but I actually really enjoyed the deck that we played. Had a lot of fun just chatting with everybody. And just everybody on the SCG tour is just so nice to play against and stuff. Like everyone's having so much fun. I, I really love the event. So yeah, I I'm gonna head to Knoxville. 
You know, it doesn't, awesome. it doesn't sound yeah. like you're making a run for the Players' Championship. It sounds like you're making a sprint for it. You know, I am trying to do a bit of a, a dead sprint there, yeah. I mean, that's always what I did. End of the year sprint at the end just to try to get there. And it, it, it worked both times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Imagine and, if you started at the beginning. Well, then, but I had to do, I had to do stuff on the pro tour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, so, I'm not uh, a pro anymore. I'm only pro? a player. I'm only a player now. Pro so tour? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, well, yeah. well, I, because of all of that hard work back then, I get to continue to be a pro because I'm in the Magic Pro L. What's that what? L stand for, Brad? I don't know what it stands for anymore because it's no longer a league. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming and I'm, I'm totally here for it. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. The, it's the magic pro lane. Now you just stay in your lane and shut up. Oh, I know. The, <laughs> I know no, I know what the L stands for. It stands what for is- lapsed <laughs> magic pro lapsed. lapsed. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, all right, yeah. yeah. All right, so are are you going to be playing in the uh, the arena qualifier at all? Because because you have buys now, are you going to try to actually run it? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing both. I'm doing both. So I'm going to have to play an aggressive deck uh, because it's going to be pretty tough for me to play it in between rounds because I'm going to be playing Teamer Ur- Teamer Urza, the deck that uh, Team BCW kind of put on the map for uh, um, for Knoxville as well. But I'm just going to have to just run it before. I think I have four hours before I will start round three. To get those uh, ten and one record in, it's not going to be easy, but I'm I'm going to try. I think you can get that in. I think so. Uh, I'm just not going to play Jun Food or whatever, you know. The problem is, is you just said you put a deck on the map. Now, what map? Because the, I've never seen it. <laughs> That's because you avoid modern like the plague, Brad. Like oh, is you, that it? you avoid it so much, you lose your passport just to try not to get out of it. <laughs> well. Well, good thing that we have someone on the casting crew that can help me with that. Thank God. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. This so no, does, you, you played. This deck does look sweet. Sorry to interject or whatever. I I, yeah. I, I, I like your list. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we just realized that uh, the counter spells and stuff were kind of clunky when people were boarding into Veil of Summers and Mystical Disputes. So we really wanted to just pivot in some way to have a nice threat or removal that doesn't lean into what people were doing against us. And Frenzy was just kind of the perfect thing to uh, to kind of go over the top. Yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> I mentioned this to you before, but I'll say it again for the sake of the cast. I, yeah. I question whether Frenzy is better than the card Mystic Forge. Yeah. Um, which lets you play colorless cards for free. Or Sorry, lets you play colorless cards off the top of your library, but doesn't have the drawback that Frenzy has of, like, building up cards in your hand that you can't play. But Yeah, but the one thing is, is that we suspected... Admittedly, I didn't think of that card, but <laughs> one thing is, like, I think casting Oko, casting Emery, casting Urza was too important, and half the games would end where I would frenzy and stuff, and then all of a sudden I would have eight cards, and I'll be like, okay, well, I'll just blow this up, and now my hand is stacked. I have a very good reason why Injured Explosives is better. Or Mystic Forge? Mis- no, then Mystic Forge. Yeah. Or not, did I say engine explosive? I meant yeah. experimental frenzy. Yeah. Because it's not an artifact for Oko to turn into an elk. That's 100% true too. But the or one steel. Th- yeah. But the one thing we were actually considering is just playing Future Sight. Just playing Wait. the straight up card, but it's blue, so it leans into the Mystic I am plan. very PH right now. I yeah. love Future Sight. It's actually yeah. the card that got me on the Pro Tour. Really? I won my, I won my PTQ with a version of... Um, what was what was the deck called back then? Uh, Countertop Goyf? 
Yeah, whatever yeah. it was. But it, but it had Tesserator. It was Tesserator with Future yeah. Sight and the Cyborg. I remember that. I remember that. So you mm. you could see your future in the sight from that card, huh, Brad? And yet I still continued on. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah, I concede mean, uh, and start a non-magical life. I continued on. With, That's impressive. With, with this. Oko turning it into an artifact's a, a valid argument. It, Oko yeah. can't steal it, though, right? Yeah, Oko cannot Only steal, steal it. Only steal creatures, so. Yeah, yeah, because oh, you can't you can okay. steal, like, swords. I had to learn that the hard way. I was like, I look over at my opponent, and they just, like, have such an amazing play of stealing Sword of Feast and Famine and attacking. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Why don't you just take that, make them discard their last card, untap, and then play this spell, and they're like, well, that's not how the card works, Corey. And I was like, okay, I'll continue my match. That would be cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I am so banned by the DCI. Yeah. No, but uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think the deck was really sweet. And uh, a quick show break. I did update the list as well as put a sideboard guide for anybody looking to play it at Knoxville uh, into my Twitch um, Discord if anybody wants to do that. So, oh, another show. I'm going to steal that from his Twitch Discord and just post it on Twitter. <laughs> hey whatever man if you need the if you need the the clot boost feel free another show i'm gonna steal brad's tweet from twitter quote tweet it and then use it to promote my own brand whoa oh somebody already did that someone already did that uh, <laughs> and it was just so on the nose oh my god i yeah i read that before i saw your comment and i i giggled yeah it was so absurd we're, we're referring to Todd quote tweeting me talking about mana traders and then just promoting his own promo code for mana traders. I mean, <laughs> I I think honestly at this point in my career with zero sponsorships in any way, I just think I'm an unlikable person. <laughs> I just I just don't think that anyone will ever sponsor me. I mean, well, I also have to zero be fair, sponsorships too. So to be what? fair, you did I have zero sponsorships as well, and people. Okay, yeah, people don't like me either. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, Brad, you did just uh, suggest that you were going to take the content I worked for and share it on Twitter. So I, I can see how people wouldn't like you here. Mm. Wow. wow. <laughs> really, really holding that, that, you know, fake, fake threat over my head here. I really brotherly, do. Brotherly yeah. love. Brotherly now I'm love. just going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank if you I'm for proving my take... point then. Yeah, if I'm going to have to take the negative sides of it anyway, I'm just going to do it. For the people. Well. You might as well for a format you don't play nor like. I think it seems worth it to you. All right. Well, <laughs> how about we actually get into the Theros cards? Yeah, let's um, do it. So Theros Beyond Death is going to be the sixth set to enter the current standard format. And it is a shoot back to uh, Theros. Uh, previously, we were on Theros, I don't know, like seven years ago. This was around the time that I was crushing magic because temples was a good time for me. I'm pretty excited to have Theros and 10 temples back. Um, yeah, this but, is about the time I quit, Brad. I think this is where you dragged me back in with Miami, right? Actually, it is. Yeah, yeah. this was uh, Theros. Is, I think the whole block of Theros already came out by then. and Because you and, played with temples and then took home the player's champ trophy. And that's where you convinced me to go Miami to go to Miami and stuff. So it must have been at the exact same time. Yeah, no, this is, that is true. Yeah, no, uh, Theros. I don't know. I don't know how many sets back then there are blocks, but now this is a standalone single set for um, the story of Theros. And the story is about how people are escaping the underworld. And that's about all I know about it. Um, yeah. But, but from the cards, they're kind of interesting because I don't actually know how strong they are. Now, before we get into this, I do just want to preface with the fact that I believe that 
what was War of the Spark and Throne of Eldraine were two of the most disturbingly powerful standard sets of all time. Oh, for like, sure. Uh, at least in the last decade. They were just absurdly overpowered. Even Core Set 20, uh, 20 was was really, really powerful. And right now, I, I'm going into this with having low hopes on these cards really making a huge difference in standard. Like, I still think cards like Nyssa and Krasis and Embercleave and all of these things are still going to take a lot of, a, a lot to fight out of uh, in standard. I, th- I think decks are still going to be designed around these cards. The Cauldron stuff still might be around, but yeah, there are some the really Amon cool cards. Ket? Is this the Amonkhet of after Kaladesh? Is this kind of the same thing where cards just don't matter? It kind of feels that way, and I, I, I like the fact that they're moving now towards cards that are less egregiously, or at least from what we've seen so far in, in our perception, less egregiously overpowered and more like you have to work to get your card advantage. You have to invest your yeah. mana into it. You have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we needed that. We needed that for sure. Instead well, of just we, like everything's handed to you on a on a silver platter or whatever. We need that for a long period of time, though, because if every year they just print one of those sets, then that'll just dominate the format. Mm-hmm. of standard and and so while this is true for these cards we won't actually see that until we get a rotation and cards like nissa and crisis and Shocklands and all of that stuff rotate out the cavaliers for fire stuff like that but let's actually talk about our first card uh on the list it it is go brian all right for everyone that doesn't know this Corey and i screw up every time we have to read things so we're gonna have brian read everything i was He's... just gonna stop you actually brad and be like brad why are we trying to say cards i swear to god that's hilarious all right so the, the first card is heliod sun crowned two and a white legendary enchantment creature god indestructible as long as your devotion to white is less than five heliod isn't a creature Whenever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature or enchantment you control, and then it has activated ability, one in a white. Another target creature gains lifelink until end of turn, 5-5. Five, five. All right, so um, let's, I mean, let's talk, let's address the elephant in the room. When this card got previewed uh, over a week ago, we didn't, you know, get to talk about it um, since we weren't doing a, a Theros Beyond Death spoiler episode yet. Everyone talked about how this interacts with Walking Ballista specifically in pioneer as a two car combo now this yeah. is of course legal in modern um but that format's already degenerate and more powerful so people are thinking that this might come into pioneer and become a two car combo similar to sahili and felidar guardian or even oh, some don't people get are comparing, me so excited <laughs> and and some people are even like you know calling it the new splinter twin um brian i want your first take on Heliod in modern, and then we'll talk about it in standard or in pioneer. Excuse me. Yeah, I, I, I think that the that hype is 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 greatly overblown. Um, I I like that the I I like the combo. I mean, it seems it seems good, but I don't think it's anywhere near Felidar Sahili. Uh, for a number of reasons. Number one is that like it just takes so much more mana to invest into it. Uh, you need to have effectively uh a two counter walking ballista because when you remove the counter to deal with damage it needs to survive that and you need to have one in a white the turn you go off to give your ballista lifelink so you need to have played a ballista for two and then you need to also be able to then give it lifelink so it effectively costs like six mana the turn you go off or it costs nine total mana spread across three turns 
And I, I just don't think that that's like terrifying. Um, there, there are ways to cheat that, right? If you can create a life gain trigger on the a turn that reduces the the cost of this card by two. Yeah. So if you can go, you'd have to play a one mana lifelink creature effectively. But like, if you go one mana lifelinker into a ballista on on one on turn two, into Heliod, um, or you could play a lifelinker on turn two as well would work. And, well, uh, but you have to play Heliod on turn three. You have to attack and gain life with Heliod on turn four, or with your lifelinker on turn four, to put a counter onto a Ballista, and then activate Heliod on the Ballista. Um, well, you that, can, would, that would you work, can. but that that's now you're introducing a third card into the combo, and you have to, it has to be a ran, it has to be a creature with lifelink, and like how many good lifelinkers are there at one and two mana? Not many, I don't know. You can also go like turn one Llanowar Elf, turn two Heliod, turn three Ballista plus Radiant Fountain. Yeah. Yes, that that is that. that is a that is a nut draw, but the problem with that combo in my opinion is you're playing a two color deck with Radiant Fountain in your deck. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That there there quite are bad, but. there are costs, especially cuz it's not a fetch dual format. Mm-hmm. There are, there are significant costs the more aggressive you get with this card. And yeah. also, also that that can be interacted with Wild Slash. You have to get three counters on it and get it lifelink to not, you know, like you also have to give it lifelink and during that process cost two mana like to to have a the chance of a removal spell not beating you, you have to have four mana to invest into lifelink and it to have um three counters. That's a lot to ask for. The only thing that is like a better uh aspect of the combo compared to like the Sahili Felidar Guardian thing is the three drop is basically unkillable. You know, Sahili was a very vulnerable planeswalker that like if you played that on three, it was very easy to kill. The only benefit with the Heliod thing is, like, it's an indestructible, you know, thing that's very tough to get off the battlefield. So it's the rest of the con- the combo is vulnerable, but this itself is not that vulnerable. Yeah, I do I do agree with that. That is that is an advantage. But even, like, even in the scenario that, that Corey outlined, outside of the fact that you're playing a deck with Radiant Fountain, which is <laughs> already not a land you probably want in your deck, but you're, you're playing a deck that has Llanowar Elves, Heliod, Radiant Fountain, and Walking Ballista. Like those cards have no synergy with each other outside of specifically this like inner combo, and yep. so you are playing what is probably a really bad deck if you can't assemble the combo. Whereas if you compare that with a Felidar Guardian uh, Sahili thing, both Sahili and Felidar Guardian are playable. Car- like they're not. I wouldn't say they're you know cards you would normally put in your deck, but they're playable cards on their own right. Like Felidar Guardian's bouncing the now banned Oath of Nissa's, or it's bouncing, you know, whatever, flickering a Rogue Refiner, or doing all these other things that that makes it actually, like, a playable card. Mm -hmm. And Sahili's can also be, like, copying a Glorybringer, you know, whatever else you want to do with that. Uh, Making making those cards, like, reasonable on their own right, whereas, like, Heliod is a pretty horrible card on its own right. Like, you're not going to turn it into a creature very often. Uh, you're not going to be gaining life and making creatures bigger that often. And even when you do, it's not really that good. I mean, mm-hmm. Bliss is a great card for sure, but like, I don't know. The, the, to me, the hype's overblown on this on this combo. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm going to agree with that. I mean, I do think that combos like this could have a lot, like, be stronger when, let's say, the the Eldrazi slash green ramp decks become very popular. Those decks are going to be harder to deal, like, this combo could be good against them. But even then, like, you know, they have cards like Ugin that can get rid of Heliod or 
they could just have their own ballista in play that can stop it. Like, uh, I just think that while this is a two-car combo that does win the game when they get together and do their thing, you know, others have existed in the past that don't need this much setup and don't, that are still magic cards on the, in their own right when the combo isn't present. And so I'm going to say this is a big old bust. It's definitely something I'm going to try going into um, Phoenix, but it's not something I have a lot of hopes on. Like just the fact that uh, it, all of the problems exist are true. But now one place I do want to try this card is standard because there's a lot of interesting white devotion cards that have been like sleepered through um, this whole format. Yeah. And, and for the first being, I forgot the name, Brian, do you, do you remember the Owl. name? Well, Arcanist Owl is a perfect combo with it, but I was thinking about that legendary 3-3 from... Yeah, it's like Linda or oh, Lena uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. Linda? Linda, listen, okay? <laughs> li- li- Linda from Bob's Burgers, Linda? Basically, <laughs> yep, yep. Gains life every time someone attacks, anytime a creature attacks, and then you just get to spray counters onto your creatures. It it does seem pretty messed up. Yeah, I I, uh, I wanted to say Linval, but then that's just a defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings, Linval Joseph. So, so I know that's either- probably not <laughs> it either. So it's either a football player or it is an imaginary character from a cartoon. Yeah, not for sure which one. It is. <laughs> what was his name? Linval Jones. Linval Joseph. Oh yeah, Linval Joseph. You had. You had 14 sacks this game, and you're going to the Super Bowl. Who would you like to thank? I'd like to thank my god, Heliod, Sun Crowned. <laughs> fun, fun side fact about Linval Joseph is he had one of the sweetest uh, football moments where he, he ran back like a 70-yard touchdown a couple years ago, and then they used like camera to him on the sidelines afterwards, and he was just sitting on the bench with like sunglasses on. Just That's like nice. <laughs> Just being, being like, a badass. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to definitely... do the same if I ever complete that combo in standard. I'm just going to wait for the cameras to be on me and just put shades on. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that, that uh, Arcanist Owl and, and other white devotion things might make Heliod playable in standard, might make white a real color, but we won't know until we actually try to play with white cards again. I haven't done that in a while. Um, <laughs> but now, now let's move on to the other super hyped card, uh, specifically for the standard format. Uh, Brian, could you take it away on the new Oko replacement? Uh, yep, yeah, I'd love to. It's uh, Oko Thief of Crowns. It's back again. No. <laughs> it got reprinted. Anybody <laughs> they, see? <laughs> they reprinted it so that it would survive the next rotation. Um, now, the card is Uro, similar to Oko, but not quite the same. Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, one green blue, legendary creature, Elder Giant. When Uro enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. When Uro enters the battlefield or attacks, you gain three life and draw a card. Then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Uh, And then it has escape for green, green, blue, blue, and exile five other cards from your graveyard. Now, for for those... Yes, it's a 6-6. Now, for those of you out there that are new to the escape mechanic, this is when it's in the graveyard, you may pay the mana cost on the card and the exile X number of cards for it to put it on the stack. This is cast the mana cost the of the escape, not yeah. the card. Yes. The right. mana cost on the escape. Um, now this is a casting. This does not get around counter spells. Mm-hmm. Just so you're aware it is. Ca- it's an alternate casting cost from the graveyard. Yep. Yep. And uh, something to note um, is there seems to be kind of a theme with some of these uh, elder gods is that the escape cost 
is uh, green, green, blue, blue, or whatever color corresponds to it. It is two of a symbol, two of the other symbol of what mana cost the card is. Yeah, that's a that, that's a little fun fact. Um, I think there's only two spoiled so far. Yeah, but they both they have a lot of similarities, so I wouldn't be shocked if we get you know more of these elder gods that have similar escape mechanics. I'd be interested because one's an ally and one's an enemy. Usually they do enemy cycles or ally cycles. Yeah. So this makes me believe that there's either going to be two, maybe three, or ten. And I hope it's not ten because that's ten mythics. <laughs> yeah, um, I, think, I think it's just going to be a handful that's not perfect. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just random to fill out um, the color pie of like rares and uncommons. Like every set has some unevenness on what colors are being respected, but usually like... <laughs> That's an um, understatement for 2019. Well, but they, they try to balance the amount of different cards and, and multicolored stuff that are in a set. Sure. Not, not saying which ones are better or worse. Now, let's actually talk about Uro because I saw the world lighting up on social media. I thought someone got canceled. Like, mm-hmm. I just saw so many people talking that, like, I was like, what's going on? And it was about Uro. There's just a lot of people talking about how this card is, like, the next coming of Oko and that, like, Stop giving Simic really good cards. So I kind of got excited because even though I've been on the side of like Nissa needs to get banned, Simic, like green plus blue or black has been over powerful and standard for a very long time. I still get excited to play them. Yeah, you've also been on the side of, oh, all these Simic cards are paying my rent. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but like, so when I saw Uro and I read it, I, I did not see where the hype was coming from because... Whenever I think of paying three mana to uh, do nothing, I guess it does something. You do get to draw a card, play a land, and gain three life. I I just, whenever I think of not using my three mana correctly, I just think of a rotting Regisaur hitting me in the face with an Ember Cleave. That's just what I envision every time. Wow, do you have like uh, PTSD for uh, dinosaurs with cleaves coming at you? No, I just think that you have to like actually do things that like progress your your, you know, your game plan on yeah. board. And Simic is a, also Simic is a color combination that without enablers, you don't fill up a graveyard as easily as other colors. So while, so, I, while I agree with that, I do think cards like Tamiyo and Cavalier kind of go into these shells anyways. And if you can ever just escape that for like free value as a card that just got put into your graveyard by one of those cards, I, I, I think it is going to be quite uh, good in that regard. Oh, for sure. But also if you ever go, turn three Uro into a Tamiyo, you have already lost the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe it is just going to be a small number of cards that you'd just like to see in your graveyard um, after like a Cavalier flip or something like that. But yeah, I, I kind of wasn't really all about the hype either. I think it's powerful. And I mean, the, the stats are pretty insane, but yeah, I wasn't uh, as blown away. That's I think this card yeah. is worse than Growth Spiral. Oh, wow. for sure. I wouldn't even argue with that. Wow. I thought, well, when I saw Growth Spiral, I assumed it was going to be the best card in standard. And while it's still very good and highly played, um, you know, I, I did not think that the format would be as degenerate as it actually is. Yeah. Um, but when I saw Growth Spiral, I, I assumed it was going to be, like, one of the top five cards in standard. And maybe it is. Um, yeah, it could be. And and it's just, it's, it's a very powerful card, but this is not it. You know, um... I don't think because this is a this... bad card, but it's not like, like, yeah, it's exactly what Brad said. You can't just play, you can't just do nothing on turn three of the game. This is a card where once you've got your engines going, 
you know, maybe may, like it, it, it's really powerful, but yeah, you can't just do nothing. I, I wrote about this. Um, I wrote about our next card, but I talked specifically about escape the mechanic. And I said that escape isn't like other graveyard based um, abilities because they kind of worked together. If you think about like a delirium deck, you could play a deck with 15, 16 delirium cards and a bunch of enablers because they work well together. Um, escape does not. Yeah. And so if you want to build a deck around Uro <laughs> that has enablers, you can't fill it with cards that get enabled because yeah. then it's can um, it's a cannibalistic mechanic. Yes. And so like, you can't just like, I, I believe like I could see like Seder Wayfinder getting reprinted in this set. I think there's like uh, a decent chance of that. Not over 50% cause like it was a very good card. Yeah. Um, but it could be a card that gets spoiled. So if it does, you can't just put Seder. If you put Seder Wayfinder in a deck and you put Tommy in a deck and you put Cavalier in a deck and you put Uro in that deck, you also then want more cards to synergize with all of your enablers. So you have more payoffs. So when you flip over cards, you hit them, mm -hmm. but you're just not going to have that because if you fill your deck with all of these payoffs, like escape cards, their front side is weaker than a normal cards front side because they have the escape mechanic. So then if you only draw your escape cards um, willing to cannibalize on themselves later in the game, they're not that strong relative to cards that don't have escape. I will agree with you, but I, I do think there's one exception, and this is a card we're going to get into more detail later, but like Ox of Agonos with Dredge. It feels like, you know, you have enablers for that, but this card's only complementing those in that specific deck. But otherwise, I, I well, totally let's, agree. Let's talk about that card now. Okay. Uh, Brian, listen. Okay. Speak about Ox of Agonos. All right. Well, it's not Ox of Agonos to start off with. <laughs> Agonos. All right. Agonos? Not, all right. It is Ox of Agonos or Agonos. Take your oh. pick. But or the last letter is Ox an... of Gonads. <laughs> ox of Gonads. <laughs> uh, three red red creature Ox. When Ox of D's Nuts enters the battlefield, <laughs> discard your hand, then draw three cards. So Bedlam Reveler's ability, essentially. Escape red for red red and exile eight other cards from your graveyard. And it, Ox of These Nuts, escapes with a plus one, plus one counter on it. It's a 4-2, uh, so when you escape it, it'll be a 5-3. Yeah. I think this card is insanely powerful. Like, I think it's going to break Dredge wide open or give it some new life. And I also think, like, I played it in Is It Phoenix uh, just in standard, and it was quite great. One thing that it really did in standard is it allowed you to play a little bit more Royal Scions. I think that card was just okay when you had only Arclight Phoenix that you wanted to discard. But now when you have Arclight Phoenix and the Ox that you're happy to discard, I think those kind of effects and those like tormenting voice effects become even better in a deck. And then late game, if you can just ever empty your hand like Is It Phoenix does to bring those Phoenixes back, and you can just restock with this Ox. Like, I, I, I think this place will actually have a room in standard in that specific deck as well as have really good applications in modern dredge well so i i have a few things to say about that okay and i hope you take no offense i always do so. <laughs> <laughs> well like i actually watched that uh versus live or okay. that match at least and you were playing against a mono red fire stack it sounds like the absolute opposite of how i'd want to build a fire stack yeah, I mean, it was up against the meme deck, but that's not to say that if we're not playing up against a creature deck where you just cast a bunch of removal and eventually you get value off Ox, that it wouldn't be good there too. 
Well, but you're also saying that you're going to sometimes open hands with Oxes, Phoenixes, um, looters, and including like royal royal scions. Like, like what I'm saying is, I actually don't know if this card goes with Phoenix and a bunch of cantrips. Uh, if looking at it, it, it looks like it would go more like where Bedlam Reveler did in Modern before you know the format got degenerate as AF <laughs> is um, like the Mardu decks where you yeah. play like interaction with your opponent. And you gain your card advantage through the ox after you've interacted a lot with them. The problem with that in standard is there's so many degenerate ways to gain card advantage that a card like this, while it has really cool abilities that can get you card advantage, other decks can keep up with you super easily without a deck constraint, like playing like what Ox of Agonos is, is building. That's that's the problem with standard is um cards Agonos. like this. Sorry, sorry. Ox of D's nuts. I'm trying. Yes. I'm trying oh. to train you guys early to say it correctly because I I just know it's going to be Agonos for the rest of your both of your existence. Natural born yeah. life. Yeah. And I'm, just, right. I'm uh, trying to get it fixed before it gets out of control. I will it's, respect. It's too late. We've said it once, BBD. That's that's all it takes. Nope. I'm going infected. to respect you. I want to be. be I want to better myself this year. So it's okay. Ox of Agonos. Awesome. Agonos. Ox of Agonos. Ox of Agonos. Okay. All right. All right. O- Ox all right. of Agonos. Like this card is good. And it, pro- and it could see playing standard, but I'm just saying that until we get rid of all the cards that just generate the same amount of value just by being cast without deck constraint, um, I don't have a lot of helps. And maybe this is good in Dredge and Modern, but like, I don't, or I could see it being good in trying to play it in the Dredge decks in Pioneer as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like, wait, they don't even, they don't even Dredge. They're just all this weird stuff. Anyway, like yeah, that Dredge isn't that good. It's, 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 you know, it's a neutered uh, deck. Mm-hmm. and so if people want to work on that, great. Then Dex will just bring their graveyard hate. It, it'll be good for a week to, if it's good, and then it'll go away. And I so, mean, that's Dredge's MO, right? It ebb and flows with how much hate people have. So whenever it wins an event, then it's terrible for three weeks until people forget. <laughs> yeah, if, if, a car, if a new card, if you're saying a new card is going to be great in Dredge, yeah. what that has to be is it breaks the problems that Dredge have. It beats the hate. Because Dredge has always been a deck that does not beat the hate. Well, it didn't have a huge problem until it lost Faithless Looting. And that is a problem. And this is kind of the thing that fixed that problem. But of course, the underlining problem from Modern Dredge is the fact that a graveyard uh, disruption spell like Leyline or whatever absolutely destroys you. So I agree and disagree that I I think this card will be good as kind of a Faithless Looting enabler. But still, yes, of course. But it's not a Faithless Looting. Like Faithless Looting is something you can play on turn one. This card cannot get going until you've already gotten going. Yeah, I want to chime in on this, actually, if I can. Chime on in, baby. I think this card is worse than Bedlam Reveler. Um, I also don't think it's good in Dredge. And I I could be wrong. I I could easily be wrong. I've been wrong before about which cards are good or bad in Dredge. But... uh, Couple things. One, it takes eight exiling eight cards to escape this card. That's a lot. Um In Dredge though, I mean you put so many like lands that you don't need to bring back. Well let, like, let them finish. How, let deep, finish how deep into the game are you at that point? Yeah, like, I mean I'm not saying there's a four of. I think it should be like a two or a three of at three of at most. So it doesn't do anything in your hand until you get to five mana. You have to you have to find a way to get it out of your hand. Mm-hmm. Um so you can hard cast it for five mana, but that's not really Dredge's, like, MO. Um, without Faithless Looting, you can't just dump it into your graveyard that easily anymore. You have to just randomly, like, mill over it. Or Cathartic Reunion, but yeah. Sure. Um, and then you have to get eight cards into your graveyard 
to to be able to bring it back and they have to be eight cards you don't care about and when it comes to dredge you do care about lands because you have life from the loam um you do care about blood gas and prize amalgam um there's really not that many cards for you to bring back i mean there's a reason that the hogak decks weren't playing like prize amalgams and stuff and there's and, and even blood gas was one of the worst cards in the hogak decks uh particularly because you often exile Bloodgust to cast Hogak. So uh, I, I just, I don't, I, I think it takes too much. Like, I don't see you, you can't really do Ox of Agonis until turn four, probably, on on most stretch draws. And at that point in time, I don't know if it's that good. Yeah, you could totally be right. You could totally be right. I just think it has some hope and it's definitely worth like a test, but you easily could be right. It might just be a, a whiff of a card. It just says a lot of words. And it, it does, so, I mean, if you ever do get to escape that and dredge 15 cards with some stinkweeds, you know, that's probably going to be pretty good. But also, yeah. also, I don't think it's good in Phoenix because I think for the Phoenix decks, you're not trying to empty your hand. Um, one of the aspects of Phoenix is that you're drawing cards with every card that you cast effectively. So you constantly have cards in your hand. And often you're trying to hold cards so that you can discard them to, to like tormenting voice type effects to get to get value out of them. So you're not really getting hellbent with Phoenix decks, which is where Ox is actually really good. And there's only four cards that you really want to discard in a Phoenix deck, which are the Phoenixes themselves. And you can just hard cast those if you need to. So I, I do think that this card could be very good in something like a mono red style deck. Like the all-in mono red decks that we've seen, like in modern, do well and stuff like that. I do think that this card is very powerful, but I don't think it's going to just slot into a traditional deck that we normally see. Yeah, I could see it. Like if if in Pioneer, someone actually like wants to play Nykthos based mono red devotion decks, I could see it being like a good top end, um, because it's card advantage. And but... you do try to dump your hand in that, so that that could be exactly yeah. And but but other than that, I I think it's I think it's a it's a whiff. Okay, yeah. I mean, I definitely could see it, guys. You know, I mean, not no real clue for sure. But well, these uh, are just the kind hopes, of yeah. these are just the kind of cards that Magic players try to build around and have fun with. So they're successful cards to print. Yeah. Um, and people I, love I do, these kind of things. I mean, this know? card yeah, exactly. this card is incredibly powerful. I'm sure there's going to be a time where it's very good. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know what that home is going to be and. Sure. Yeah, it could be one of those two decks, but I, I would I would I would suspect it finds a home elsewhere if it does. Sure. So All speaking right. of cards that people love, Brad, I'm guessing this next card, a nice Golgari Mythic, is something that's gonna be like right up your alley. Am I oh, right I on have, this? I have already written an article about this. Card. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. This seems like a Brad Nelson card if I've ever seen one. All right. BBD, you wanna take this one away? Yep. The card is uh Pelucranos Unchained, two green black, legendary creature zombie hydra. Lucranos enters the battlefield with six plus one plus one counters on it. It escapes with 12 plus one plus one counters on it instead. If damage would be dealt to Pelucranos while it has a plus one plus one counter on it, prevent that damage and remove that many plus one plus one counters from it. And it has activated ability one green black. Pelucranos fights another target creature. It escapes for four green black and you exile six other cards from your graveyard and it starts as a zero zero, but of course with six or 12 counters on it depending on how it came into play yeah. that's a lot of words it is it is hydras have a lot of uh text lately now, and a lot of heads and a lot yeah. of heads. i wouldn't say it's just hydras every one of these cards has like obscene amounts of text <laughs> yes yeah, yeah 
All right, so I uh, I wrote an article about this already for StarCityGames.com, and I kind of felt, I wouldn't say bad about the article, because I, I definitely, it was very dense in just game theory, and a lot of that was about, like, how the escape cannibalizes on itself and stuff like that, and also about where you'd want Pelucranos and how you'd want to build a deck around it. And what I've, the conclusion I came to, and we'll do the, you know, the abridged version for the podcast on Pelucranos, is that... The best home I believe Pelucanos will be in is a mid, an aggressively leaning mid-range deck, very similar to like Chris Kavardic's Golgari adventure deck from Mythic Championship 7. Yep. Yeah. Like like a very streamlined, aggressive, get out ahead. Um, I do not want to play Pelucanos in a deck that tries to grind a long game. A, I, don't, I just don't think grinding a long game is possible and standard. You want to be, you want to have your best foot forward with the ability of gaining card advantage if your opponent stops you. Yeah, I think it'd be good with uh, the Great Henge, though. It seems like a nice little fit with that. Well, it's, and same thing with, um, it, it should work really well with Vivian as well. Now, oh, yeah. um, because oh, of Trample. Trample? Oh, my yes. God. And, and just that deck in general uses a lot of mana, puts a lot of things in the graveyard. But the one thing that I really like about Pelucranos Unchained in that deck specifically is because that deck is super mana intensive, with a bunch of tap out, when when your opponent says go it with mana open in that deck, it means one of three things. They have nothing in their hand of value, or it's one of the two adventure cards, either Swift End or the one black drop that draws a card, lose a life. Yeah. Um, and so most of the time it's Swift End. And so they out, you can never disguise it. But with Pelucranos' fight ability, you can disguise that more often, or you can, you, you know, you... Just having more things to make your opponent think about. And I like that aspect of the card. I like the aspect that um, that deck doesn't use its graveyard for any real reason, but cards just go into it. And and it draws a bunch of cards and loses a bunch of cards. It just goes through a bunch of cards as a strategy. And so um, that's where you want a Plurkinos, is a, a proactive strategy where cards just kind of get put in the graveyard and then you can just bring it back. Like, and play good cards. just added value. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I'm in complete agreement with you when i saw this card i immediately thought this is like an abzan aggro card and nowhere else yes Um, yes and like i want to make a point clear about the escape on this card where that is something that's probably not going to come like you shouldn't try to build your deck to make the escape a thing you should just have it it be a thing just just have it be a thing in games that grind on or whatever but if you don't want the front half of this card, you do not want this card in your deck. I th- I think personally, I agree BB- with you wholeheartedly. BBD, I got to ask you a question. Do you think you're being a little biased because of our shared love of Abzan? Do you think you know that's your biasness of this card's only a good Abzan card? No, no, not when I said <laughs> I don't mean only a good Abzan card. I mean only a good like when I said Abzan aggro, I mean that style of deck, not specifically oh, okay. Abzan. Yeah. Oh, I, so, you just so, got me excited. I was ready to build Abzan with you. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> worth clarifying for people because there's some of our viewers have never even played Abzan. Right. Um, back in the day, there was a lot of Abzan cards and the archetype itself split into two factions, the aggressive and the defensive. And it's kind of also like that Theros time is where I learned a lot of my game theory and and really identified aggressively leaning mid-range decks defensively leaning mid-range decks why and when you want to do each of them i mean that um, was the heyday of mid-range every deck was, it was every good yeah. deck was a mid-range deck in that period of time people were nowadays you, it's hard to get a mid-range deck to be good but back then everyone 
complained about mid-range constantly because it was just always every good deck in standard for years was just a mid-range deck oh yeah every deck had charms in it it was great i love that period i know other people didn't like it but i love that every deck had had a three color instant for three mana that did multiple things you would go like fleece main lane attack you and sometimes you just be like draw two cards (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) all right so um I, I, I'm excited about that deck. I'm excited to play with Crystal Party Sack. Now, I've taken a big hiatus from Standard um, ever since the Mythic 7 because of Holiday and no real need. And I understand that a lot of people are looking for content for, you know, the MCQs this weekend, but I just can't get into it. I also think that the format is not perfectly solved, but, like, you have to do a lot of work to find something that's better than the, like, top four decks already. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of narrowed down, that's for sure. Yeah, but um, let's move on to our first Planeswalker of the conversation. And it's not Elspeth because we, uh, that card's been around for a while and it's kind of a boring card to talk about. Also, I've just, a lot of people talk about it. very good either, yeah. Hasn't this well, card actually been around just as long? But that's beside the point. Yeah, but um, this one's yeah. hot. <laughs> this is the card that you wanted to talk about, special guest Brian Broughton doing, who's dead inside. Actually, Corey put this on the list, but... I do I'm like this card. I'm also dead inside, though, too. So. All right, so the card is, is Ashiok Nightmare Muse, three blue-black. Uh, legendary Planeswalker Ashiok. It has plus one ability. Create a two, three blue and black Nightmare Creature token with whenever this creature attacks or blocks, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Minus three, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, then that player d- exiles a card from their hand. Minus seven... You may cast up to three face-up cards your opponents own from exile without paying their mana costs. Starts with five loyalty. Um, so I, I guess I'll jump in, but I, I like this card a lot. I think it's, it's, I think it's really good. I think it is a, um, it's very similar, of course, to Teferi, mm-hmm. Hero of Dominaria. I think it's like worse, but not by that much. I don't yeah. know what do you guys what do you guys think about well, it? I yeah, I, I mean, don't really get why it's uh like to fairy hero of dominaria. It doesn't it doesn't draw you cards, and I don't think I think there's a two three uh blue and black nightmare creature is going to be put into a different deck than draw a card on tap. Um I think yes and no. Well, I guess Teferi just went into every single deck, so yeah, that's probably. I, I, but I I agree with you that Teferi was was at its best in in kind of a in kind of like a instant speed control deck, whereas this feels like more of a top end for a mid range deck. That's exactly um, what I was thinking. Yep. Yeah, but Teferi also was the top end for a mid range deck too. So it's hard for me to say that that won't be the case. But I think that this card, uh, could could be a reinvigorator for. Uh, Esper Hero. Oh, um, I was going to say it if you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to say I, it. That's why I want to talk about the card. Yeah, or what do, do you want to say? I do think it's going to be, you know, something powerful like the top end of a mid-range deck, but I just don't see this card being a stock four of in any regards. Like, I think it's a, maybe a two of to, you know, diversify like your Planeswalkers and to have a powerful effect that's going to gain you value over over the course of the game. But in no way, shape, or form do I think this is a card you want to see one to two of every game. So I just don't really picture it being a four of, and like I think it's kind of pushing for a three of, but I think there's going to be a great two of in either like a Soul Time midrange or an Esper Hero. I actually disagree. 
Yeah. Um, I, I actually think that this card is on a comparable power level to Zafari as a top end of a mid-range deck, potentially even better. Wow. Um, okay. Because Zafari, a couple couple reasons. Teferi untapping two lands in a mid-range deck, not always that great. You don't always have, you know, you're trying to tap out. You're trying to play your cards. A lot of them are sorcery speed or creatures. You don't always have something to do with the mana that you get. Ashiok has an extra loyalty than Teferi and ultimates a turn earlier than Teferi. So it's actually really, it's only three turns to get to the ultimate. And the the creatures that it produces, as well as the, well, the minus three is going to take you away from the ultimate. But the creatures that it produces are um, going to protect it for the ultimate better than Teferi's plus one could protect Teferi in a deck where you're tapping out most of the time. So I, I, I actually think that this card is going to be actually incredibly good in those kinds of decks. I do want to interrupt you on one aspect. Like, I agree you can ultimate faster, but this isn't an ultimate that you want to rush to. Like, it's an ultimate you have to work for. Like, these creatures have to attack or block to be able to exile cards, and then the negative three ability is going to exile, like, one thing. But being able to get value off those exile things takes a little bit of work. It's not just like your normal five-drop Planeswalker where the ultimate ability on its own is just busted and ends the game. You need to work for this one. Well, also, I, I the, on that note, I, I want to bring up the fact that oftentimes when you get to cast your opponent's cards from a mid-range deck, they're only really beneficial against other mid-range or control decks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're playing against like a Nyssa strategy, like those three cards that you pick from might not even be that good. I, I so agree like, with that, but it's also it's also great against aggressive decks too, though. Yes, I think this card's like unbelievable against aggressive decks. Um, yeah, I mean, just the two three body instead of a two two body. The three toughness is the thing that I think makes this card like so much better than people kind of anticipate. Because clumping the board with higher toughness than power creatures just makes combat such a nightmare. Oh, is I that agree a pun with that. intended two, two, on two, that one. <laughs> oh no but i'm kind of a proud of myself actually you should be Damn it. that was beautiful I, I'm, now I'm, I'm proud of you too yeah <laughs> now i'm disappointed that i have to admit that that was not fun intended so. all right i do appreciate the honesty yeah. Yeah. i want to move i want to move on to my favorite card to talk about and for very weird reasons all right okay. so all the right, next so- the next card is dryad of the elysian grove two and a green enchantment creature nymph you may play an additional land on each of your turns. <laughs> I'm sorry, I gotta stop you. Did Corey laugh just because of Nympho? Yes. It's yes. literally a nymph, and he just laughed on his own because <laughs> it's a creature type nymph. That's exactly why I laughed. You're such a child. Dude, you're such a maniac. Get yourself under control. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, uh, continue. <laughs> all right. You can play an additional land on each of your turns. Uh, lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types, and it's a 2-4. Brad? All right, so the reason I want to talk about this card, I'm actually writing an article on this card, and I'm going to go deeper into it. Four starts of games, I'm doing a How double How many articles up. are you shilling for? Is this like article number four? How well, many do you I'm write a week, up, dude? I'm doubling up this week because I missed a couple in December. Oh, okay, um, okay. And Cedric's allowing me to write a few. But also, like, these green cards are worth talking about because, like, I think that they're not as good as the general population thinks of them or at least what i'm seeing on social media a lot of people i saw like um what's dobbs uh what's his first name 
Jonathan Hobbs? No, wrong person. I'm thinking I'm putting two people in. Yeah, Dom's Harvey. Oh, Dom. Dom you said Dobbs. You mean Dom? Oh, Dom I meant Harvey? Dom. Dom. Yeah. Dominic Harvey. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was writing about like how this card might change the landscape of Scapeshift and Modern. Mm-hmm. And if you so if you go Arboreal Grazer on turn one into Dryad turn two into um and you're making all your land drops. And then so so on turn two you play Dryad and you play your third land. And now on the next turn you play your fourth and your fifth land. Um, um you, you play your fourth you can play your fourth land on turn three. On turn, turn two. two. You can turn play two. Primeval Titan on turn three with that draw. No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can play Primeval Titan or um our on on turn three. Yep. Or, I mean, on turn three, don't you just play your six land, play scape shift, get four Valakuts and two whatever, and then they're all mountains and they take like yes. a billion? Yes, you can also scape shift on that turn. Yeah, yep. that also and works too. Um, and a lot of people are talking about how this might change the landscape of that. But the thing that I want to talk about is that while that is a best case scenario, Arboreal Grazer and Dryad do not actually create card advantage. And this is like the lesson to teach players is that your best case scenario decks often aren't good enough because they're only best case scenario with no interaction without any chance of getting card advantage out of them. So when your thing doesn't happen, you're at a disadvantage because if you think about this combo, that combo is nine cards. It is a Boreal Grazer, Dryad, and whatever your big spell is, and five or six lands, depending on which one it is. And so if you're on the plate, that's every card. That is saying that my top nine cards are going to be these nine cards, and then I have a successful strategy. Seems seems right to me. Checks out. Next yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's exactly right. You you have to pair cards like this with other forms of card advantage, and these cards always underperform what people's expectations of them are because um, of things that just natural gameplay. Like how many times have you had an arboreal grazer in your hand and not land for people who've played the card a million times? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, More times ex- than I have it on turn one. Yeah. Or how many times are you going to have this card and not have extra lands to play a million times? Um, sometimes you don't have lands to play with this card. Sometimes uh, you have the lands to accelerate out, but nothing to do with it. And so it doesn't really matter that you're getting an extra land. And sometimes you mulligan. And every time you mulligan, it makes Arboreal Grazer and dra- cards like these these cards so much worse. Because yeah. then you have to put that land back into your deck, or you have to put this card back into your deck. Um, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. I do I, actually yeah, think that this it. card could be quite good um, in like the scapeshift style decks that are like rug, you know, teamer scapeshift or bring to light scapeshift, where if you're pairing it with ways to draw lots of cards, which I don't think those decks traditionally play that many like raw card advantage cards, but. If you did, I could see that being good because then it does make your scapeshift straight up lethal um, earlier in the game and stuff like that. So Yeah, and now there's another thing people are talking about in Standard is that because of the second ability, lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their types, is that every land works well with Nyssa. Yep. And oh, God. Yeah, so you're, no matter if you just had five force in play, or hell, let's just say five... I'm thinking of non-force castles, Castle Garenbrig, mm-hmm. in play. Those would actually cast any card you want. Noxious Grass, Aether Gust, any of the cards that we use to protect our uh, negate, to protect our Nissas um, with that untap that's always so powerful, are just online all the time when Dryad and Nissa are in play. Yeah, every, um, Also, every our Hydra Crasis. 
Every land produces one color of any mana and one green mana. That's just an easy way to explain it. See, all I'm trying to do with this card is just cast this on turn three and Nib Mizzet Reborn on turn four. Let's go. I mean, that, yeah, that, that, I think that this card actually goes into more meme decks like Nib Mizzet decks yeah. Yeah. than it does in anything else. I think um, that's like the best use for the card, actually, Corey. So. I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I see that this card would probably go into that strategy in standard as a fun meme deck to play on like a streamer showdown or on a stream or fun stuff like that. But um, and it will it will see some play. It has some powerful effects. But for for those of you at home that are wanting to build decks around Dryad of the Elysian, uh, is that how I say it? Elysian. I I I don't know. Elysian. Elysian. I'm not. Sure I'm going to say Elysian Grove until I'm proven otherwise. Sure. Um, Dried of the Elysian Grove. If you're looking to build decks with this, build it with two more lands than your original deck. Build a deck, then take two cards out of it and make them lands. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If your original deck has 25 lands, play 27. And if your original deck has 28 lands, put 30 in there. <laughs> hey, I've played 30 at a at a at a at a. How'd that go? Uh two four. Just like a Dryad of Elysian Grove. So guys, can can we talk about my favorite card in the set so far? Like, by a lot? Yeah, one last thing about the Dryad. This goes with what we just said, but there's a reason why the best of this type of card that's ever been printed were Corsair of Crufix and Oracle of Moldiah, and and every other one hasn't really been that good for a reason. Those, or those... Prismatic Omen, right? Like, I think that was good for this kind of effect, but kind of the opposite effect, right? Yeah, that was good specifically for the Omen effect. But yeah, the the playing extra lands thing, you know, there's a reason that either like either the busted ones cost one mana, like Fast Bond, or they're, um, or, or Corsair was card advantage. Corsair was just card advantage because you got to look at the top well, the of your best, deck. You know, the that's best, the point. The yeah, best. that's the point I'm making. Those cards. The reason those cards are the only ones that have been great is because they gave you card advantage. This yeah. one does. I mean, exactly. the best the the best one is like best example is why did decks play Explore or Ghost Spiral? Like right now, why does Flash play Explore or Ghost Spiral over a Boreal Grazer? Because it excels you and you get to draw a card. Exactly. That yeah. that is the big difference of these cards. Like and and. When you put them to beside each other, it's laughable even to make that question, right? It almost sounds condescending to ask. It really does. But, and and honestly, that's why we consider Oboreal Grace or the Green Mulligan sometimes, because sometimes it is busted because it's the only effect that does it on turn one. But other times you're you're just playing it and you don't get to play an additional land and it feels like the worst magic card possible. Yeah, it's the best card to put back on a Malda Six. Exactly. <laughs> it really is. And 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 so that's where Dryad's at. Now I do think that it is a fine magic card but i want to you know yeah you know temper the expectations of it and i'm going to be writing a full article about it and the the places where i think that it should go good idea on the div miss and i'm definitely going to build a deck around that nice um, so, so I, I'm, I'm sensing a theme with theros beyond death it's free mana green cards that make you re- that reminds you of gross spiral but that are way worse than it yes <laughs> yeah. three mana green instant regret cards hey they're learning i'm fine with it all yeah. right yeah, next cool. next card is Corey's bread and butter oh, woe yeah. woe strider uh woe is he who underrates the strider um two and a black creature horror when woe strider enters the battlefield create a zero one white goat creature token Brad Nelson. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice another creature, scry one. 
Escape, three black, black, and exile four other cards from your graveyard. Woe Strider escapes with two plus one, plus one counters on it. Oh, pick me, pick me. Pick me. Can I start? Corey, can you start on this card? Okay, all right. So this card pairs incredibly well with my favorite Throne of Eldraine card, which is Rankle, Master of Pranks. Being able to go Woe Strider into Rankle, attack, and have one of these free bad cards that you can just sacrifice right away, and then they get to get rid of a creature is not only really powerful, but I think this card like jumps right into like Red Black Aristocrats, where you these decks were already playing cards like Lazatep Reaver to get that double body effect to either sack to Priest of the Forgotten Gods or to Rankle. And I think not only does this card service that ability, but you also have the ability to sack a bunch of creatures all at once. A, in response to a wrath effect, or B, if you play Mayhem Devil and you just get to spray and however many creatures you have, uh, minus uh, Woe Strider since it can't sacrifice itself, you just get to dome to the face. So I think this card pairs so well with uh, an already good strategy and standard. I think this card's going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I I do have to say that free sacrifice outlets um, are not around that often anymore because of how powerful they were, like, five, six, seven years ago, whenever, like, the aristocrat-style decks were first being played. Yep. um, With Blood Artists and and stuff like that because of these effects. Because you don't have... You can just sack your board and win the game. And there is is a one-sided Blood Artist currently in standard. I'm not saying that that's going to be playable, but, like... Yeah. um, You know, like... That's that is very powerful. A a three two that has an ability from the graveyard that's pretty cheap. In, in all honesty, four cards is is four not really escape. Much. I think is the cheapest good escape card. You know, yeah, I I think that this is all around just a very good, well designed card. Specifically that they went with the O one goat. I appreciate that. Yeah, the goat's um, back, Brad. How do you feel about that? Well, I feel great actually. I I have to find it. It's somewhere in the house. I don't know where they're at, but I know that I have around forty or fifty foil goat tokens still because i got them for you know when the car got printed yeah and so i'm gonna have to send some to you if you think you're gonna be playing with this card sometime soon oh you know i will be and luckily versus live still has a stockpile of brad goats so i got to uh well i got foil ones uh, oh yeah send them send them would you say that that token is the greatest of all time no but i definitely did not i learned about uh the goat acronym when um that when i made the goat token because I, I became a GOAT token when I won an Invitational because I used to play with a card called Trading Post that made GOATs. Yeah. And, but then everyone's like, wow, Brad is a pretentious asshole because he's <laughs> calling himself the GOAT. And I'm like, why would anyone think that I'm pretentious being a GOAT? Like, wouldn't a demon or a giant or a 2020 flying indestructible token be more pretentious than <laughs> Ooh, that? shots fired. <laughs> what, about the, what about the smallest token ever, the Zero Zero Germ? Yeah, the zero zero germ is also great. That's but then I learned about the greatest level. of all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, I think it, I think that token was pretty sweet, actually. But yeah, no, I, I think I think I think this card's gonna be around for a long time to come. It's just an all-around beautiful magic card. I well designed. I think it, I love it. I'm a huge fan. Do, and it I, just it pairs with Rankle, which is just so for me. I do think that this card is 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 really good. I I I think I agree that it will see some play. Um, also one, one thing about the card though, is that it does compete with a lot of cards at that slot. Namely there's mayhem devil and midnight reaper. So there's a lot of three drops to, um, compete with, but I'm, I'm with you guys. I think the card is, is pretty strong. Hell to the, yeah. All right. Next one. 
is sorry, I'm gonna probably uh, hack the name a little bit. It's Hacktos <laughs> the Unscarred, Red, Red, White, White, Legendary Creature, Human Warrior. Hactos the Unscarred attacks each combat if able. As Hactos enters the battlefield, choose two, three, or four at random. Hactos has protection from each converted mana cost other than the chosen number. It's a six one. Brad, what do you this, think about this one? So so I have this along with another card, and I want we'll talk about that one right after this one. Okay. On on the list today, because they're very unique to the, the game of magic that we all know and love. Yep. Um, this card has a lot of variants built into it. Like, let's just, you know, let's just say this card is actually good. I have no idea if it's good. I do know that if you play, I like the fact that if you play Hactos or another card that we're not going to talk about today um, too much, but I can bring it up right now, is Eidolon of the uh, Obstruction, which is colorless, white, 2-1, enchantment creature, spirit, first strike, loyalty, abilities of planeswalkers, your opponent's control, costs one more to activate. This or um, Hactos both say if you spend all your mana on your Nissa, it's going to die. You know, like you're not getting your protection. Now you have to deal six damage with the white creature, but you don't get that on tap. You don't get that first activation. And Hactos is exactly built to where, you know, it's going to beat a Nissa, which I like about that card. But I also get why it beats a Nissa. Because I'm, the the land can't block it. This has protection from zero converted mana cost cards. Yep. Oh. So the land can't block it. Yeah. The the land so, can't block it, but it Nissa could come down oh. before. If Nissa comes down, Nissa and Hactos both come down effectively on the same turn. You play Nissa on turn four quite often. Um, if the okay. Nissa comes down first, it it's going to be at seven by the time Hactos can. That's very it. true. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that this card's good for one reason. I think Boros is just a bad color combination for standard. It just rarely is good enough. So I misread um, that card. I thought it was you have protection from just the number at random. So I'm like, I'm like, why did we even put this here? It just gets blocked by Cauldron Familiar. This seems heinous. No, yeah, no. It's just like if it's okay. four. Some decks like sometimes there's just like four. For example, means that like your Cauldron decks like. There's no way to beat it. They don't play four drops, you know? Like, they might play Vraska, but Vraska can't interact with this. Um, So, I, I actually think this card's really interesting to random, and it also goes up uh, with the other card that I want to talk about. Brian, can you uh, can you talk, talk us through Atrice? I want to just say one... I just want to say something about this card. I think this card's cool as shit, by the way. That is cool. I, think, uh, which I, I like that they printed this card. I think they should print more cards like this. I agree. I don't think it's going to be that good, but it is. It is. It is really cool. Are you just saying they should print more white cards? <laughs> well, <laughs> they print enough of them. They should print good ones. Yeah, um, there you go. This not being it, but I. One other thing beyond Boros being bad, that's a huge knock against this card is red, red, white, white. And the mana cost. That's yes, red, not red, as white, easy white. As it sounds. It is, really is. It's really bad, especially in aggressive decks where they usually have bad yeah. mana. You know what's even worse though is white, 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 white. That would be a lot tougher. Okay. The next card is <laughs> Phoenix of Ass. One red, red, creature Phoenix, flying haste. Two and a red, Phoenix of Ass gets plus two, plus O oh until end of turn. You'd think it would pump the other way around, right? You would think so. You would think it has, there, there is, uh, sorry, I'm going to interrupt me describing what the card does to talk about my favorite mag, uh, magic card of this ilk. It's from Time Spiral. It's oh my God. Basalt. Golem, I think it's called. 
basalt. I thought monolith. you were going to say. I thought you were going to say squire. It's basalt <laughs> something. It is a red ass breather. <laughs> did 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 we uh did we really just cut the talking about a card mid card yeah. to make an ass joke? Yes. And this this is why people don't take us seriously and 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 our numbers haven't doubled or tripled. Because I believe if we put our best foot forward, you know, we would take over magic as a podcast. Instead, we, were than we put our best ass forward. Exactly. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find this card. Oh, basalt gargoyle. That's there. It is. There it is. It is. It is during the time spiral block where they like to like invert the color pie. They gave red and instead of a fire breathing, which is a common red ability, they gave an they gave it an ass breather. <laughs> Such a great card. Yeah, I, I bet that really uh, that really corresponds with you, BBD. I feel like you're the best ass bre- ass breather around. All right, yeah. Phoenix of Ass, it's... one colorless red red <laughs> creature. Phoenix, flying haste, two R. Phoenix of Ass gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. Escape, two R R. Exile three other cards from your graveyard. Phoenix of Ass escapes with plus one, plus one counter on it. It's a two-two. So, Cora, you lied. Yeah? You said that Escape 4 was the lowest escape cost for any good card. No, I, I said that correctly. What? No, I what? said this that card. Correctly. This card is gas, not ass. Yeah, this card oh. is gas. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, this is a very good Phoenix. Just the, the cheapness of the... Um, of the the pump is pretty cool. Three mana for two is pretty good. Also, it escapes very cheap to make a three three flyer, and that's just a threatened thing. Like the thing about phoenixes that people have to understand is that now they're 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 making them better, but these like three mana two two haste ones, it comes down to pivoting and positioning. This is going to be good in the graveyard because you don't have to do it, but they have to respect it. And you don't have to attack with it each turn. I think that's one of the biggest downfalls of the Phoenixes in the past, you know? That is a very good upside of this card. Yeah, that's 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 worth mentioning because yep. that is great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this card is just generically a good card. Like it's just a it's kind of like when they printed Rekindling Phoenix and everyone knew that it was going to be good because it's just awesome card on like stats and all this other stuff. I I just think that this is just a generically good red card and if red is a good deck, this will be a great card in it. Like mm-hmm. flying haste two two for three. We've seen that be great a number of times. A variety of previous phoenixes, Chandra's phoenix, if I'm not mistaken, actually, it, w- it was a very good example of that effect being good. And then, um, yeah, the the recursion ability that phoenixes present for a very cheap mana cost. Your, your burn spells are going to make it escape quite easily. And then when it comes back, it comes back as a three three, and a three three haste for four. Also, like, yeah, this card's not blowing you out on rate. Um, but it just has three things that it does that are all great mana sinks, and it has evasion and haste, and red decks love that kind of shit. I, I, this card's going to be really good if red is a playable deck. And one thing I want to mention for our listeners out there is uh, escape, just to be clear. It is only able to escape during your main phase if it's not an instant, um, you know, so you can't, like, EOT escape this into play or something busted like that. Yes, yes it a, is a cast. It's another yep. form of casting the card, yep. So exactly. you, you can only cast a creature, like Corey said, during your main phase, etc. You can cast the in, the sorcery escape cards during your opponent's turn if you've Teferi ticked up. If, you, if you're playing um, Vivian, you can you can cast this at end of turn. Yep. Vivian that gains the the the, the three mana one, yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. But it, it doesn't change the fact of what it is, what the type is of the card. 
All right, I'm going to take the last card, Brian. I'm going to say it. Okay. Um, because this is we have one last card. I, I mean, to close on on Phoenix of of Ass, I think it is a very good card. I don't know what it's priced at, but I assume it'll see play and it'll rise in price. Not not to a ridiculous numbers like some cards do. Oh, it'll rise already from the it'll ashes, rise, yeah. if not from on price. So. Yeah, but I definitely think that if you like red cards, I you know and and respect our opinion. This card will see play in standard, and it's worth picking up earlier than later. Um, I'm just confident that this will be a good card. Yeah. But the last card is my favorite card in the set. It's not because I think it's good. It's because I think it is a much like um, Hactos. It's it's a design space that is just underexplored, and I like in Magic. So the card is uh, Atreus Oracle of the Half Truths. It's two blue black legendary creature, human advisor. Uh, its ability is Menace, and then when Atreus Oracle of Half Truths enters the battlefield, target opponent looks at the top three cards of your library and separates them into a face down pile and a face up pile. So that, and then put one of one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. So they could put two cards face up, one face down, one face up, two face down, three face down, zero. I mean, you know, like so many mind games. So, so many mind yeah. You could you could go like two face down, one ass up. Wow. Yes. <laughs> two face down, one ass up. I yes. will have to say, Brad, you you listed one full card name and you got exactly one wrong. What? It's you said Atrice Oracle of the Half Truths. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever. Atrice Thank you. Oracle. Thank you for derailing You're on welcome, everything. Bud. You're welcome, bud. Um, so the reason I like this card is because it takes a design space that doesn't seem that broken, but adds like that element of interaction. Now, Factor Fiction is a lot of people's favorite card, and I think I think it's a lot of people's favorite cards for like a very self indulgent wrong self indulgent wrong reason, which is outsparting the opponent. Mm-hmm. And but like at the same time, these little sub games, these mini games you can play in Magic, are fun and break up the monotony of you know, repetitiveness where it's like, yeah. do they ramp into the Nissa? Do they have the crisis? Do they have this? That's always what magic has become in standard. And like, we're, that's what, that's what that along with like the London Mulligan rule and the overpoweredness of a lot of these cards makes replayability kind of an issue. And because like the games never play out in a unique way, they just keep doing the same things. Yeah. Um, but like, that's why parts- people love limited, right? You know I mean? Cause that is the different effect you get, but in standard, I 100% agree with you. Bro. Yeah. But like this card, for example, like this effect is very fun. Now there's another card that I signed. Maybe this card would get too taxing if it was too good, but I played in a mystery booster draft, um, mm-hmm. on new year's Eve and I ended up switching colors and forcing this card. Now my deck wasn't that good because I did switch colors, but I was like, I want to play with this card. I'm going to do it. We're just playing in new year's Eve, having fun, you know, having a beer while, while drafting very casually. The card was Zim Mesmeric Lord, and this is one of the play design cards, so it's not a real card. And and Zim cost a colorless blue and double black, so four mana for a flying death touch 3-4. And its ability was when card name Zim enters the battlefield, target opponent chooses an order of the cards in their hand, then reveals them one by one until you say stop. That player then discards the most recent revealed card. So effectively, if you had four cards in your hand and you had an an ace, a king, a queen, and a jack, just to simplify this. You would organize them in a, such a way that I would say, okay, show me the first card and you reveal a king. And then I'm like, mm, I don't think that's the best card in your hand. Keep going. Or I think it is. And then you'd show me a queen. And then you'd show me, you know what I'm saying? So yep. you would reveal cards until I discard one of them. So I get to discard a card no matter what. But 
if you just put like the best card first and I'm like, ooh, you probably have a better one, then you get to keep your best card. But if you put your best card last and I figure that out, then I get to take your best card. And it's just like both of these effects on Atreus and Zim are cards that I want to see more in standard. I even said, I was playing with people from play design and I saw Zim and I'm like, I want this card to exist. And I thought maybe there's a look, maybe not. But now seeing that Atreus exists, like it's a very similar effect as in just you get to play a sub game with your opponent. Yeah, I think this card is so cool. I got to play with it yesterday on Versus Live and it, it was all about mind games. It was It was just, do I think my opponent is going to fall for this bait? And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I, I think you, you said it perfectly, Brad, when it comes down to breaking up monotony of the of a, a stale standard two months into the set. Yeah, yeah. I think that these cards are also great. I love these cards, too. I think they're Even amazing. Even like Gonti. Gonti was kind of similar, right? Yeah, so, I loved playing with Gonti. Well, I disagree. I disagree. I think Gonti's way different. Gonti, your opponent has no choice to make. Yeah. The, these cards involve choices from both players and it, it creates a small sub game and not one that's annoyingly long. You know, like I hate when it's a sub game, you know, some sort of like a long sub game, but it's just a really quick thing where both players, sometimes the decisions are obvious for both players, but sometimes there's a little cool trickery. Like let's say you hit, you play an Atris and, uh, or your opponent plays an Atris and you see two lands and a medium card. You can go two lands face up, medium card face down. That's a, that, that would be the the obvious choice. But you could also go medium card plus land face up and land face down. And then your yes. opponent is like, man, if I take that face down pile, that might be like the great card. Because they don't know that that's what the pile split was. It could have been land, medium card, great card. You know, yeah. and so then it's it's this little cool game where it's like, did you trick your opponent? Did you not? There's a lot of things you have to think like what level they're on, what they're gonna do. It's really, I think that's really fun. Like I love Cabal Therapy for similar reasons in Legacy, where cards like Brainstorm exist and stuff to play around it, to play against it. I I, I think that these cards are a lot of fun, and I, I I don't like when they become too good. I don't like when they're the best thing that you can do in a format, but I like when they're like a B or a C level thing you can do in a format because they're really fun. And that's what it's, this is. It's also, and I don't know if this is by design, but this one also interacts with escape in a very interesting way. The way you were talking about that, like you're saying, Brian, like that medium card and they could have had a great card. But what's hilarious to me is what if you don't know your opponent's limited deck, let's say for limited. Yeah. And all your best cards have escape. <laughs> so you're like, okay, even if that's one of my best cards, it has escape. I'll just throw it in the graveyard and take these two cards. Right. And, and, you know, like that it, this adds to enabling and interacting with one of the mechanics in the set um, while also being a fun sub game. I think that this card is a pure win and it's not because it's like, oh, Nissa going to take over the format. Just like, I think we need, I want Magic to go back to having a lot of fun design like this. And, and this, these are the kind of cards that I want to see. And I would love to see Zim just printed as is. Yeah. They, um, they actually had a card like this and I, I'm trying to remember what set it was from. Um, what was the set that had farm market in it? Was that one of the Amonkhet sets? That was it was Amonkhet, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was uh Hour of Devastation. Wasn't there a yeah. card like this in Hour of Devastation, like an instant? Dude, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure there was. Yeah, you're the card guy, BBD. I, we need I, you for that. I I I banished it from my mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, see, I I I think the Amonkhet block was like a perfect block, basically. Minus it just ha- got so shadowed. Minus by, like uh... Hazaret, I think that the the entire block was insane. 
You thought Scarab um, God was good? I think it was a. I think it's a fine card. It's it's really yeah. powerful, but it's it's a five mana creature. It never but took it, over the format once, Corey. Yeah, Scarab God was always around, but never dominant. Didn't you, didn't you, isn't it better to just play Glorybringer anyway? No, yes. you really want to split. You really want to split. Okay, you want to you want to split up your Glorybringer and uh, uh, black card effects. Corey, always. when we're when we're all right, when we're, listen here, <laughs> listen here, child. When we're sitting outside of a hotel room. And we're having this conversation, that's fine. But if you want to come into our podcast and embarrass yourself in <laughs> Sorry, front of your sir. entire audience and lose all your credibility as the one person that plays Scare of God and Glorberger together, then do it. Just do it. Fine. For, for I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to and, all the viewers. Brad and Corey have had, had, had a lengthy argument about Scarab God Glorybringer numbers before a four-color team or energy uh, tournament gp it was yeah. probably GP. probably GP. our biggest argument as a brother i think it ended with brad saying oh well you're a mistake Corey." no <laughs> <laughs> i think he was saying scarab god was a mistake but then yeah <laughs> sure, got lost sure. in translation we'll go with that, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that that is the last card that we're going to talk about we talked about 10 different cards in here um i will say i'm very excited about the set uh i don't know when we're recording the next episode but we have to do it around the streamer spotlight stuff from next week. Streamer uh, showdown event on Wednesday of next week. Yep. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we can talk about that, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was revealed. Uh, it was revealed today. We can talk about it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So when this comes out, we could have talked about it for a full day. Awesome. All right. Well, um, so we'll be, uh, I should be doing that for a little bit. Uh, at least having some fun with some of the standard cards. But, uh, you know, until next time, next time, hopefully we have, have touched the cards a little bit and, uh, we should probably just maybe record Thursday and, and put it up Friday, but we'll talk about that behind the scenes. We don't need to keep boring them. Yep. Anyway, I do want to say thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. Um, again, you can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, if you are a fan of the show and want to show your support, you can do so by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bash bros podcast. There you can find four tiers that are currently up. Um, and one of them being uh, our, our, our biggest supporters become part of the cast and crew. Now, each week we acknowledge those, those people that are part of the show, helping us behind the scenes. And so without further ado, let's talk about our cast and crew, shall we, boys? Let's do it. All right. First off, we've got EJ Wren as Corey's down player. Corey gets a little excited. We need to temper him. That's, that's EJ's job. Absolutely. And then we got uh, Paul Kakroski. And this is, uh, <laughs> I nailed it, right? And this is BBD's wall staring photographer. There's nothing more majestic than looking, than capturing the moments of BBD staring at a blank wall on his everyday life. Yeah. So I, I have a question about that. Are you saying that Paul has a cat and a crow that ski? Or that it's a cat that crows while skiing. Hey, I didn't name him. There's no, there's no T in there. I don't even know. But it was cat crow ski. Okay. I just want to say there's nothing better than, yeah. There's there's only one thing better than staring at a wall, and that's staring at a person staring at a wall. All right. So next up we have Daniel Russell, who's Brad's international document consultant. He should have been fired a long time ago, but he's no, still with no, us. No. Yeah. Well, we hired him after some some issues. Oh, I yeah, see, I yeah, see. He yeah, should have been fired yeah. a long Shouldn't time ago. Shouldn't happen again. Still All with right. us, though. Next one, of our long, of next one of our longtime supporters, Spoon Tongue, who is BBD's <laughs> hairstylist. I do like what's been growing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. looking good. Tom BBD Wil- is, in fact, a grower, not a shower. 
<laughs> Thanks to Spoon Tongue, I'm both a grower and a shower now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Impressive. Well, then after that, we got Tom Wilkinson, uh, one of our very important people. He is our on-call Sultai correspondent. Absolutely going to be uh, doing a lot of information, gathering us with Ashiok coming out as a Sultai card. Or Esper, and then we won't be using Tom at all. Oh, all yeah, right. then he's out of here. We, yeah. got, uh, we got David Watt, the special guest screener. Look, everyone has an off day. David Watt, our most valuable employee, but last week he, he did miss the mark, but generally does a great job. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, our most important uh, person on staff is, for sure, uh, Victor uh, Bauchamp. <laughs> Who's our... <laughs> Most important <laughs> staff, we don't know how to say his name, but he is our most important. But he is our executive producer. <laughs> Bow chimpa wow wow. Okay, never mind. <laughs> our next person is also insanely important. Simbalu is our executive waste <laughs> is our executive waste management operator. Whenever you have a creature <laughs> that is ass breathing, like our special guest frequently is, you need somebody to deal with that ass breathing. So that's Simbaloo. uh <laughs> some of these names are tough to pronounce but symbol was not one of them <laughs> oh my god uh, oh god <laughs> all right next next we have rabid chicken the vice president of video operations we don't interact that often with him most mostly go through the president of video operations but uh everyone who watches the podcast you have you have rabid chicken to thank yeah, yeah and then last but not least we have jerry Mijaldi. Assistant to the assistant regional manager. Very important job title. All right, so if you would like to get on this list for your name to get butchered and your your profession to be insulted, then yes. please do so by going to our Patreon and becoming a $5 subscriber. Uh, anyway, that's all we've got for this week, boys and girls. Um, we'll be back next week, uh, and we will uh, figure out the time exactly for that. But until then, I hope you have a wonderful weekend and get ready for the Theros Beyond Death Preview no, pre-release, that's it alright, see you later Rush it. <laughs> <laughs>